your Bible, would you take it and join me in Luke chapter 10 this morning? Luke chapter 10. Tonight, today I want to share a message titled, A Promising Future. A Promising Future. I got to uh, the blessing of observing a marriage yesterday of a couple with a promising future. And Chris and Barb, we're just proud for, proud for y'all. They got married yesterday. And... Uh, had a beautiful wedding, a simple wedding there in their home, and we had a good time. And we look forward to many good days ahead for y'all. Amen. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you're there in Luke 10, and then after we pray, we're going to take this scripture and walk through. And I hope today that the Lord would speak really clear to your heart in very simple terms about the promising future He has for you if you will surrender your life completely to Christ. So let's go to Him right now in prayer. Father, we're thankful today that You have given us the hope of a future in Jesus. We're thankful, Lord, for these children who led us this morning to remind us that, to remind us that, God, you take the simplest of faith, uh, a simple trust and an obedience that we place in you, and, God, you magnify it through the years of our life, and you cause us to enter into a, your kingdom, and you cause us to do work that is meaningful and eternal in purpose. And, Lord, we're just so thankful for that privilege because of what Christ did for us at the cross. Thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity we'll have even today to read these words of Scripture, to understand the lessons you'd have us to learn now so that we can continue to serve you throughout the course of our life. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things and pray. Amen. It is truly a blessing to have children in our church. We thank the Lord for that. They are the future of this congregation in just a few years, maybe 20 years or less, or maybe 30 years, the children who are on this stage will be the leaders of the congregation. They'll be those who are leading the charge of the church. Many of us in the next few years are going to change addresses. Some of us will be on to heaven, or maybe some will change their address here. But in 20 or 30 years, these children, or some like them, will be the ones who are sitting here leading out and leading the congregation. So every church, therefore, must recognize the potential found in every child in their community. And we need to invest in reaching those children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we do not find ways to communicate the gospel to children and invest in their lives, we're going to lose the successive generations to sin, death, and ultimately hell. And so, I mean, just I want us to think about it in those terms. It's, it is an important matter that God is calling us to, to do. He wants us to recognize the need to make the most of every moment, to make the most of all the resources He's entrusted to us, and to make the most of every relationship that He puts before us. Because in those moments and those things, He is building His kingdom. And so God's calling us to be a part of that. He wants us to allow the little children to come unto Him, right? For such is the kingdom of heaven. So this morning, I want us to take a look in Luke 10 at a time when Jesus taught his followers about how they could have a really promising future in his kingdom. And he took a group of dedicated disciples and expounded to them the way to a promising future. Not long after his transfiguration on Mount Hermon, uh, there in the north of Galilee, Jesus revealed there to his inner three disciples, Peter, James, and John, his true mission, and that was to go to the cross to die for sins. 
But then he took the larger group of disciples, and it was not just 12, it was 70 or more who were following Jesus, and he began to train them in how to be a part of his kingdom, how to really see his kingdom come and his will being done. So Luke records about this. Uh, if you look at Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it mentions that Jesus took 70 of his followers and he sent them out two by two into the surrounding villages before him. Jesus had plans to kind of go along through those villages in the upcoming weeks, and he was going to be performing his own ministry of teaching and preaching and healing. He was going to be doing this, but he wanted these to go and prepare the way, to kind of open the doors to people's homes and, and open their hearts and minds to hear the gospel. And so Luke records about how he gave them specific instructions about how to be effective as his ambassadors. So verses 2 through verse 16 is where we read about not only the instructions he gave, but then those cities who would reject his ambassadors and how they were doomed to judgment because of it. But when we get down to about verse 17, uh, Luke records what happened when these 70 came back to Jesus and, and how Christ took this moment now to help them kind of think through the lessons they learned while they were out on the open road. He wanted them to be able to think about how he was preparing them to be laborers in his field from that point forward. That it wasn't just a one-time deal. It's kind of like when you and I, if you're a Christian today, if you're sitting here and you know you're a Christian, it's like when you became a Christian, it wasn't just a one-time event. But this is now a whole new way of life. And so that's what Jesus is trying to help these 70 learn. So each of us today, I really want us to have the opportunity to learn what they learn, to follow their example and become great uh, in God's plan for the expansion of His kingdom. Now this church, I believe this, I believe Fairview Baptist Church is positioned by God to accomplish a mighty work in this part of the world. And not just this part of the world, I mean I know He wants us to reach out into the ends of the earth. That's part of that Acts 1-8 commission He gave us. But here's the, here's the reality we need to think about. If we're unwilling, like some of the cities he mentions in verses 13 and 14 and 15, if we're unwilling to see the potential and we're unwilling to see the promise that he's giving us, the hope and the future he has, if we're unwilling, in other words, to join him in the work and be workers in the field and laborers for the harvest, if we're not willing to participate in the harvest that Christ is sending us into as laborers, then we're going to miss out. We're going to miss an opportunity. The Lord's going to move on and move on around us. And so I think it's important for us to really focus on this. Let's examine the lessons that Christ had his disciples learn through their time they spent in those villages. And this morning, he's going to open, I think, our eyes and ears and our minds to those same lessons in our lives for our culture, for our context right here in Fairview. So let's start in verse 17. The Bible says here, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather Rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. 
Now, there's a first valuable lesson he's going to help them learn this morning. I think it's one that if we can wrap our minds around, it'll really help us as we move out into the community, whether it's in our job or in our interaction with our neighbors or, or folks like that. The first lesson Christ had them to learn was this. We'll be prepared for a promising future when we have the right power behind us. When we have the right power behind us. I have a little placard that sits on my desk in my office that says, it, the, the problem is not the, the problems before us. The wonderful thing is the power that's behind us that helps us to accomplish and overcome those problems that lay before us. And so we need to remember that. That was a lesson that the disciples had to learn. When the 70 returned from their work in the villages, they noted that they had been given this incredible supernatural victory. Uh, that, that victory just seemed to accompany them when they went through these villages. They were amazed at how demons trembled at the name of Jesus, how the demonic oppression seemingly melted away at the revelation of the truth of the gospel. And that truth was there setting men's and women's hearts and minds free and helping them put their will in trusting the Lord Jesus as their God and their Father and their Savior and their Lord of their life. And they, they were stunned by this. They'd never seen anything quite like it. As they went out and began to share the gospel, these things began to happen. And Jesus noted it. You saw what he said. He said, listen, don't be amazed by this. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. In other words, God has the power to trample under his feet the enemy. And God's going to put Satan in his place. He's already done that. But he says, don't be amazed so much at that. Be more amazed at the fact that you've been saved. Be more amazed at the fact that you, a sinner, have been given an opportunity to be saved by grace. Boy, that's something to really think on, to put our hearts and minds around today. Jesus stopped his followers to reflect on this moment by helping them consider that the power behind their work was actually the very ever-present God who saved them, that ever-present help in time of trouble. They were not fit on their own to tackle a supernatural force. You and I couldn't do that today if we wanted to. We're not fit on our own because we're, we're simply sinners who've been saved by grace. And we're not fit to try to take on the devil or any demonic force on our own. But listen, it's God in us. It's Christ in us that makes the difference. That's the power unto salvation. I love what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe first into the Jew and then to the Greek. And so uh, Paul saw that. He recognized that, that it's Christ in us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what makes the difference, and that's what uh, changes lives. So they weren't fit on their own to tackle the uh, spiritual darkness, but the salvation that Christ gave them now was giving them the ability to overcome their selfish ambition, their selfish desires, and let God work in them and through them. It kind of reminds me of another story in Scripture in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19. There's a story of how Paul, the Apostle Paul, was working in the city of Ephesus, and he was actually performing miracles. Now, it really wasn't Paul doing it. It was God in him doing this work through him. Uh, but unusual things were happening. People were being healed. Diseases were being healed in people's lives. And, and it was an amazing thing people were seeing happen. And it was all simply a way to witness to Christ and to talk about His great power. Well, there's this moment when some boys, seven sons of a Jewish priest named Siva, and these seven boys decided, we want to do that too. 
we'll just do what Paul's been doing. We're going to uh, use Jesus' name, and we're going to run around here and tell these demons to leave in Jesus' name. Well, the problem was these seven boys didn't have Jesus living in them. They were as lost as a goose. And when they got out there and, and started throwing the name of Jesus around, one of the demons checked up. And look at what he says in Acts 19, 15. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Now think on that one for a minute. He said, who are you? You have no power and authority over me. Now he knew who Jesus was. And he knew Paul because he knew Jesus lived in Paul. And he'd seen Jesus moving through Paul. He says, but who are you? And the Bible says in verse 16 and verse 17 that that evil spirit in that man jumped on those seven boys and beat them to half to death, and they fled naked. They were beaten and naked. He ripped the clothes right off of them as they were running away. I mean, whoo, you talk about violent encounter, but it reminds us that the challenges that lay ahead of us will only be overcome when we look to the Lord. That's a lesson to learn in life. When we're aligned with Christ's will, with God's will, we know what He wants us to do, and we're doing it through the Holy Spirit's power. When He's empowering us and giving us the authority, He can help us move mountains, things that we never thought would, would change in our life, things that we never thought would be different. God's able to do these things and overcome these things and move these things. But when we're selfish and we seek to accomplish our desires and our will all the time and we ignore God's designed purposes and desires, then listen, it won't matter how many times we speak the name of Jesus. We've got to be walking in His steps. That's the point. It's the power behind us that makes the difference. Having Christ in us and moving us forward and guiding our steps and giving us what we need to make changes in our life. But notice a second lesson they learn in verse 21. In this very moment, then it says, In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said. So now he turns his eyes away from the uh, time he's talking with the crowd, and now he begins to speak, as it were, to his heavenly Father. Jesus begins to pray in this moment a prayer of thanksgiving. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. And all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Now what's he doing? What is Jesus talking about? Well, first he has this prayer in this moment, as he turns his eyes and his heart to heaven in this moment, he thanks his Father for the perspective that he's been given and to be able to see the things that only heaven can see. Here's a second lesson we need to learn right here. We'll be prepared for a promising future and one in his kingdom when we have the right perspective before us, when we're able to begin to see things and understand things the way that God sees them. Now, how in the world would that be possible? Well, His Holy Spirit has to be the one to do it. Did you see what it said in verse 21? In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Uh, it's what, here's what's fascinating to me. Jesus is an anomaly. You know what an anomaly is? Something that ought not be, but it is. 
All right, Jesus is fully God, and he's fully man. How in the world does that work out? Well, if we think of it in these terms, here's Jesus, the man, the Son of Man. And here's God, the Holy Spirit, who's there with him. And God, the Spirit, is speaking to God, the man. Now, (laughs) how this works, I do not know. But in that moment, he turns to the Father in heaven in the Spirit. And he begins to say these things, to utter this prayer. This close relationship. And he talks about it. If you read there again, if you notice in verse 22, he says, you know, God, we have this intimate, Father, we have this intimate fellowship. There's only one God, y'all. There's only one God. But he's demonstrated himself to us in three ways. As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why? So that we can understand enough to relate to him. He's built us for a relationship with him. And so in order that we might understand how to relate, he's demonstrated or revealed himself to us in these ways. And so we understand what it's like to be in relationships. We understand what it is to have a a family or to have a husband or a wife or to have children. We, We can relate to relationships humanly on the human level. And it helps us then to understand better the unity that God wants us to have with him. So much more than we could even imagine. And so here are his disciples who were trying to learn how to trust and obey a heavenly parent instead of falling victim to the arrogance and pride of a worldly system. And so Jesus noted that there were many who were wise in their own eyes. You see him talk about this in verse 21. Those who are wise in their own eyes, people who uh, had given themselves over to uh, follow their intellect more than the Spirit who would lead them to know know God, the Father. Uh, The Apostle Paul mentions this. I love this scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Paul kind of talks about this same thing. He talks about the perspective that God has sometimes when he thinks about our human wisdom. Paul said, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world. He's asking some important questions. He answers them now in verse 21. Look what he says in verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. What's Paul talking about? He's saying simply this, if you kind of want to boil it all down, human wisdom is not enough to know God. You don't know on your own enough to know God. God has to come to you. How did he do that? through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. He has to reveal Himself to you. How? Through the working of the Holy Spirit, speaking to your mind, speaking to your heart. And when you and I hear the message preached, something that the world would seem to be foolishness, why would a man willingly give his life and die on a cross for the sins of the world? That sounds so foolish to someone in the world, but what Paul's saying is that's how God works. He wants to show us our way of thinking in, in, according to his way of thinking is foolishness. We're real good at getting ourselves in a real big bind. And we think we're real smart sometimes and we can do it all on our own. But what we find is we just make a bigger and bigger mess of our situation when we try to leave God out of the equation. And Paul notes right here, the only way for you and I to really get things straightened out and have the right perspective on life is to begin at the cross. 
to see that God did something that to man seemed strange, seemed foolish, but God saw wisdom in that he saved our lives from sin, death, and hell by Jesus' shed blood on that cross. He gave us the, the opportunity to come to him by faith and trust him and be changed. So rather than a relationship built on love and trust and obedience and sacrifice, there are many people in this world who try to kind of go through life on their own. They try to kind of make things work out, and, and they only look to God if they feel like it's going to help them meet their own personal ends. I heard a story of a little boy who wanted his mother to pay him for all the services that he'd been rendering in the home. Have y'all ever had one of these moments like this? He left her a little note to read one day, and this is what he put on the note. He said, for washing the dishes, you owe me a dollar. For cleaning my room, you owe me a dollar. For hanging up my clothes, you owe me a dollar. For taking out the trash, you owe me a dollar. Yeah, right. You got the point, right? Then he finished the note this way. Mama, you owe me pay up. And he had, he had a, a number four with a dollar sign on there. You know. Well, she uh, read the little note. She went to her wallet, pulled out four $1 bills, and she set them on the kitchen table with her own note. And this is what she wrote. For carrying you nine months and being as sick as a dog, no charge. For staying up all night with you night after night when you were sick as a dog, no charge. For working overtime so that I could get you those special shoes that you had to have, no charge. For entertaining your friends when you wanted to bring them over, no charge. Signed, your mother who loves you. Total, zero. After reading the note, that young man, he, he thought for a minute, he realized that he had lost sight of the goodness of his mother. And I know this. He turned his love relationship for his mother into a business deal. He had said to his mother what a lot of God's children sometimes say to him. Pay up. What's in it for me? Yeah. And, and I think that's what Paul was saying in that scripture. Don't lose sight of this. What we think is important sometimes and what we'll just fight to hang on to or have or do or, or be a part of is foolishness in the eyes of God. But like a loving parent, he's patient with us, isn't he? He's patient. And listen, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And guess what he charged you? Nothing. It's free. You know what it requires? You to surrender your heart and your life, which rightfully belongs to your Creator anyway, to, to willingly and willfully just surrender it to the Lord and say, God, I'm yours. You created me, and I'm going to take the free choice that you've given me, and I'm going to choose to put my life in your hands. And I'm just going to say, Lord, you can have me. Do with me what you want to do. And that's what we got to do. That's the right perspective. And that's what Jesus was trying to get his followers to see. See, if we understand the power that's behind us and we see the, have the right perspective that's going before us, it helps us with this last little bit. I want you to pick up on this. We can't lose sight of the fact that selfish ambition and empty desires can blind you to the truth and keep you locked in a cycle of sinful behavior. And so we have to turn to Christ. And when we do, something wonderful happens. Notice verse 25. 
And behold, a certain lawyer, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered him and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. And he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he had saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Listen to that. He had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds and pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him and who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So a lawyer was listening. See, there was a lawyer in the crowd. Isn't that amazing? A lawyer who was listening. Uh, but a lawyer in the crowd was listening to all that Jesus was talking to his disciples about. And something struck a chord with him, and he got to thinking, Hmm, I wonder what Jesus would say about eternal life. How can we get this eternal life if he's talking about this power that God has over Satan and the demonic forces? If he's talking about this perspective we're to have of God and our relationship to him, how then could we accomplish both of those things, destroy the devil and know God and have eternal life? And he's thinking through all this. Like those lawyers, boy, he's processing this. Tick, 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 tick. It's going around in his mind. And so he has to ask the question. He jumps up and asks the question, Jesus, I want to know. And so Jesus, in rabbinical fashion, a true teacher, turns the question around and asks him a question. Tell me what you think. Tell me what, how you would sum it up. So he does. In pure law form, he says, well, I'll tell you what I'd do. I believe you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, you'll fulfill the law. Jesus said, you got it. Boom. Bingo. You're right on it. You're right there. Now you just got to do it. <laughs> Isn't that the tough part? Sometimes we think we kind of know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love God and love other people. But isn't it hard to do it? Isn't it hard to do that, perform that perfectly? So it reminds us of this third lesson, that if we're going to progress, I and mean, if we're going to move forward in faith, and if we're going to find ourselves to be faithful with the right uh, perspective and the right power, ultimately we need to have the right priorities. And so having the right priorities within us is really this last lesson Jesus is teaching in this moment to help us understand how we're going to really progress in His kingdom and how we're going to see His kingdom continue to come, we've just got to be committed to the right priorities. 
that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything that we have, with all that we are, and that we would learn to have the kind of compassion that God has for lost people. I think probably that's one of the biggest challenges. Uh, When we surrender our life to Christ, He begins to place in us a desire to show compassion to those who don't even deserve compassion or to show mercy and kindness to people who don't necessarily deserve mercy and kindness. Why? Why? Because He already did that for us. He's already done that for you. And if God did that for you, then guess what? You'd better return the favor and do that for someone else. Why? Because we're His ambassadors. Remember these 70 that Jesus sent out? What was their job? To kind of go help open the doors in people's homes? to prepare the way so that when Jesus got into those villages, He was able to freely teach and preach and minister and heal and, 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 and change people's lives. Well, well, His ambassadors, His two-by-two, two, His 70 going out two-by-two, two, their job was to begin to show the same kind of compassion and mercy and kindness that Christ had shown them by choosing them and calling them and forgiving their sin already and, and working in their lives. And so He wants us to do the same thing. He helps us to take time and effort with people who need help. As you go through this week, you're going to come across some folks who need help at some point. Somebody that needs a little encouragement, somebody that needs a favor, somebody that needs a friend, and guess what? God's going to say, go and do likewise. I've done that for you. Go and do likewise. Do that for somebody else. Be that for somebody else. Encourage them, love them, show them God's mercy and His grace. And so He causes us to set our heart on what our Heavenly Father has already done for us. Now, here's where it starts. We can't have the right priorities. We're not going to have the right priorities unless we get the right perspective. And you can't have the right perspective until God's power from on high comes upon your life. And where that starts is at the cross. You know where God did all this? At the cross, He demonstrated His power over sin and over Satan. When Jesus died and He shed His blood on that cross, God was demonstrating His power to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came, to destroy the works of the devil. That's what the Scripture says in 1 John. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And He did that by shedding His blood on the cross. Foolishness to the world. does not make sense. But from God's perspective, it made all the difference. It made all the difference. And ultimately, then, that's what gives us the right priorities. To quit being selfish and self-centered and grabbing, grabbing, and going for ourselves, and to start loving people who don't deserve it and to start being compassionate toward people who need it. And so that's where we're changed. And so today, maybe there's someone here. Maybe there's someone here for the very first time. You need to come to that place where you stand at the cross, even in your heart or in your mind, and you say, God, I'm a sinner. And God, I need you to change me because i got the wrong perspective right now. God, I need a Savior. And if that's you and you're in this room today, I want to ask you to pray with me right now. Would all of us just pray? Let's pray together right now. I'm going to close our time in prayer. And as we do, I want to invite you today. If you're not a Christian, but you want to be one, you believe these things we've read this morning are true, and you with all your heart want to be right with God, then today would you start with this prayer of faith? Would you pray this prayer with me? Would you be willing to say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Then would you pray this? Jesus, would you come into my life 
and forgive me of my sin. Then would you say this? Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. Jesus, would you come live in me? Amen. If you make that your prayer right now of faith, and you really mean that with all your heart, right now, Christ will not only come into your life through His Spirit, but He'll begin to change you today. He'll begin, give, begin to give you a new heart, a new mind, a new way of thinking, even right now. Father, we're thankful for the gift You give us of Your Son. Father, we're thankful for the gift You give us of Your Spirit. Today, would You help us to live in compassion and kindness and love for those who need it most. Again, we thank you, Jesus, for your work at the cross. We pray that today we would respond to that in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me right now? As we stand, we're going to be led in singing. And as we sing, maybe there's someone today that needs to come to Christ. As we sing, myself or Daniel or Jay will be here. We'd love to talk with you if you need to come to Jesus today and you're ready to follow Him, let's sing this song. And as we sing, if you need to come to Christ, you come today.